I love any opportunity I get to preach to the choir. And that's what I get to do today, preaching to the choir. What could cause people to join at 1 o'clock in the afternoon together in a church building to sing and to have a Bible study? Well, Jesus Christ, that's what pulls us together today. There's something special about when we join together. We are strengthened as we gather. God knows that, and the devil knows that. And boy, do we need strength on a day like today, don't we? It is so clear that we have an enemy that has his sights on us. In fact, I have this picture in my mind that any person that the devil cannot have his soul, he, between the shoulder blades, right in the middle of his back, will put a target on him or her. If you know Christ today, I'm not trying to discourage you by telling you there's a target on your back, but the devil has had the same goal from the beginning that he has today, and that is to get people that know God to doubt the Word of God. Can you remember back in the garden? Can you remember when Eve was approached by the tempter, that snake? And perhaps it's familiar to you too. Hath God really said? Is what the tempter would say. And the same message comes to you today if you know Jesus Christ. He wants you to doubt what God has said. And honestly, he's so good at making this happen sometimes. And sometimes even for me, I will think our enemy is so powerful. We are surrounded so much by evil. It almost feels sometimes like there is such an enemy out there that we can hardly take our focus off of the impact that he is making. The devil has been studying man for thousands of years, and he loves, if he can't have your soul today, he loves to make you lay awake at night and worry about something. And what we'll see in God's word today is that every promise that God has given to us, every promise that God wants you to know, the devil will attack. And the reason that he attacks that is so that you will go to some other place to fill that need in your life. But God has an answer for this. All that to take us to Colossians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, would you please turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be a pew Bible in the rack in front of you, the hymn rack. And if you don't own a Bible of your own, please take that Bible and keep that as a gift uh, from us to you. We'd love for anybody that attends Calvary to make sure that they have their own Bible. While you're turning there to Colossians chapter 2, before we get to our text, I need to just inform you that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a local church in Colossae, and he's writing to believers. We find this wonderful picture that's very appropriate for Good Friday in verse number 12, where Paul says, buried with him and raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God. And so, Paul is writing to believers. And I think some of them had forgotten some of the wonderful and unbreakable promises of God. And it might be 
today that perhaps some of you have forgotten about some of the advantages that you have if you are a follower of Christ today. I want to read verses 13 through 15 of Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Some promises that the devil has had some success at getting even children of God to doubt. We're going to look at today as Paul reassures this church that God's promises are always true. The first one that we have, and the first advantage that we see today is we know that because of the cross, we do not have to fear. You do not have to live a life in fear because of the cross. Now, I know we have experienced churchgoers here. I even walked through in my head the math today, and it's likely that some of you have heard thousands of messages, thousands of sermons So probably some of you can connect with what I'm about to say if you've heard that many sermons. Perhaps you have been in a church service and the sermon seemed to be in your mind, it seemed to be at a place where it should be done. It had been the right amount of time for the sermon to be over. It had been about the same kind of points that the preacher usually makes. And so you kind of prepare yourself for the sermon to land. Land the plane, man, is what we want to say sometimes. And then just when you think everything is going to be done, vroom, the preacher takes off again. I need to let you know I'm guilty of this. I've been guilty of this in the past few weeks. I don't need any snide remarks from the peanut gallery But I'll let you know that when I was preaching recently at a funeral, the very last line that I was going to say, and the people that worked at the funeral home, they they knew what I was going to say and they were ready to step up. And in the very last line of what I said, touch and go, I just took right off again. I want to read for you the words because it's happened more than once. This is going to sound familiar if you've been at a graveside funeral before. For as much as it has pleased Almighty God in His wise providence to take out of the world the soul of our departed loved one, we therefore commit our brother's body to the place prepared for it and the spirit to the God who gave it in assurance that He who is judge of all the earth shall do right." Shall do right literally is in the last 10 words that I plan on saying. But when I say God will do right, I just can't help myself. What is it that is right? It is right for the God of the universe since he gave his son to shed his blood on the cross to do right by taking us to be in heaven with him. 
If you know Christ as your Savior today, what is right is that you will live for all eternity with your Savior. We do not fear the grave. Look at verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. And so we have a confidence that on the cross, Jesus destroyed spiritual death for everyone who would believe in him. That is those in the future. That is also those who believed in him in the past. They were looking ahead to the cross. In a similar way, like today, we look back to the cross. And so if you are spiritually alive together with Jesus, there is no need to fear physical death. But perhaps today you'd say, you know, Jeremy, physical death is is not my struggle. When I lay awake at night in bed, it's not that I'm afraid to die. But what keeps me awake at night is my past. The sins that I have committed and the sin that I struggle with, that I cannot seem to get victory over, that's what haunts me. That's what keeps me awake. Which takes us to the next thing that Paul tells these people. He points them to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because of all this that Jesus did, all of these physical torments, we see also that because of the cross, my debt has been paid. If you know Christ, your debt has been paid. It is not the future that gives some of you the problem. It is your past. Look, starting in the end of verse 13. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that against us with legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so on the cross, God placed on Christ all of our sin. I want you to look at the word just in the beginning of verse 14, record of debt. It's an interesting phrase. It's the only time that it's used in the New Testament, that specific one. And what it really means is the word receipt, which we are very familiar with today. We know what it is to to get a receipt to have a list of things that, that you've purchased or, um, or if you've gone to a restaurant. In fact, let's go ahead and use that as an illustration. Let's say that you go out with a friend to a restaurant and you're going to have the nicest time. It's going to be your big meal for the day, as some of us like to say. And you go out and you order the food and one of you gets a chimichanga and the other one gets the quesadilla. And of course, before that, you've had the guac and the white cheese. I'm really sorry if you've not had lunch yet today. (laughs) Maybe you get a Coke and they get a Diet Dr. Pepper. And you sit there and enjoy yourself and you're pretty full, but you've got just this much room for some fried ice cream as long as they put all three of those drizzles on top of the fried ice cream. As you sit there and as you enjoy that time together, it comes to an end And when you come to the end of that meal, the waitress is going to bring you the check because somebody has to pay the bill. 
And as they bring you that check, maybe some of you uh, know somebody, you've got a friend that you might go out with that has alligator arms. You know what the alligator arms are, some of you? You know, the check gets put on the table and they can't quite reach for the check. They can't get that. And so you, being a good person that you are, go ahead and reach for the check. Because somebody has to pay the bill. And when you look at that and you take a look at the things that are listed, you make sure they're right, and then you go ahead and make the payment. Don't miss the point of what Paul is telling the church here. There is a list, there is a receipt of the sins that we have done. God the Father does not miss anything, and everything is written down on a list. And just so we can worship appropriately today for what we've been forgiven of, how long might your list be? How long? As you read through the sins of your life, your youth, your teenage years, all of those sins, because every one of us has a list, every evil thought you've ever had, every unkind word that you've ever spoken, any selfish deed that has been a part of your story. And here it says that record of that debt stood against us with its legal demands. But then it says Jesus Christ does something with that. Not only is it a record of something that stands against you, but it makes accusation. Maybe what keeps you awake at night, maybe what your enemy is, is those thoughts of the past and your guilt. And the devil would stand before God and would accuse you. And this is a death that you would have kept from your, for yourself if it were not for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. On the cross, Jesus took that debt. No matter how long your list of debt is, Christ paid your debt. Paid in full. That's why we joined together today. That's what makes Good Friday so good. Nothing that you have done yourself makes you good in the eyes of the Father. It is what Jesus Christ did for you. And then look at the, the second word in verse 14 where it says canceling the record of debt. That word canceling gives the picture of erasing. Imagine the erasing going on when Jesus Christ and his relationship with you applies his work to your life. It actually gives the picture of erasing an entire book. A whole book. Could you fill a book? I know I could. This is in contrast, the erasing of our debt. This is in contrast to the record that is kept for those who do not know Jesus Christ. And if you go all the way to the end and stop just short of the maps in your Bible, you will find a record of this in Revelation chapter 20. I'll read it for us. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. No matter how long your list is, Jesus Christ erased those with his blood. And then we find one more great picture right here, a great word picture for me anyway, when we see right in the end of verse 14, where it says, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There it is. Nailing that list to his cross. Maybe some of you have had opportunity to go through the story of Christ's crucifixion in the past several days. I know I've challenged our Calvary family to do that. When you look at that in detail, you will find that on Jesus' cross, it wasn't just him and the spikes that were there. There was something else that was on the cross. Do you remember what it was? It was, it was that sign, that sign that was nailed over his head. And this was common in the Roman days. It was common that they would take a sign and put on that sign the crimes that that criminal was guilty of. And they would typically carry it around their neck when they went to their crucifixion so that everybody around knew what they were guilty of. Jesus Christ took each sin that you and I have committed and nailed them to his cross. Christ is so powerful, but he left. He told his disciples, I'm going away. You can't come with me, but I'm going to see you again someday. And sometimes we do feel alone, don't we? Sometimes it feels like the enemy is so powerful. What can we do with those kind of feelings? Well, the Apostle Paul recognized the danger of this. And that's why he says next to this church, Because of the cross, you need to understand the advantage you have over your enemy. Look back at the cross, the work of Christ, and understand the incredible advantages that come, including an advantage over your enemy. Look with me at verse 15. He disarmed the ruler's and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. When Paul wrote this, individuals in that day would oftentimes know who the threats were to their country, what the threats were to the city they lived in. And sometimes when there was a serious threat, People would lay awake at night. Are they going to come tomorrow? Do I need to have some more defense? 
Is our army going to be able to keep us alive and defend us? In the Roman days, it was very common that when they would go and they would uh, take over an enemy, they would bring them back in chains, bring them back oftentimes naked, and they would parade them through the street, allowing the citizens to know this one that you were so worried about, look, they're no longer a threat. No longer do you have to fear them. And yet, so many of us still fear our enemy. We lay awake at night, worried about the past or worried about the future. We're worried that it's not going to work out like God wants it to. I need to remind us that God is not listening to the devil, not for one moment. He doesn't get convinced by the devil. He is not persuaded when the devil comes to accuse you. And if God does not give him ear, you need to not listen to the devil either. And I know that the enemy seems so powerful at times. And so if the devil reminds you of your past... Very clearly, you can point the devil to his future and to your future. God's promises are true, and God's promises are exactly what we need for the journey. And do we have to wait till we get to heaven to realize all of these? No, we don't. We simply look back at what was accomplished on the cross of Jesus Christ. And because of that work and because of his love for you, his promises are real. I don't know everybody here today. We've talked solely about the work on the cross. The gospel is clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If there's anyone hearing this message today and they've never accepted Christ, they've never asked for forgiveness based on the work of Christ on the cross, they can do that today. You can accept him. Make him not only your savior, but the one who gives you the most incredible promises for you to walk with your head held high because of who you now have your allegiance to. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for that horrible picture of crucifixion. And very clearly, we were given instruction by Jesus Christ when he talked to his disciples and took the Last Supper and turned it into something beautiful for the church. I want you to remember my shed blood. I want you to remember my broken body. We praise you, Heavenly Father, for this wonderful opportunity that we have to be obedient and remember the work of Christ on the cross because for so many of us, Father, in just two days, we will celebrate the empty tomb. We thank you for Christ's victory over death and his victory over sin. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time to worship. Bless your children as we continue. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.